0: Well, welcome back to The Bill Bennett Show. This is the podcast that translates Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't need much uh, translating these days, Claude. He's uh, out there every day in front of the cameras on the coronavirus. Explaining things, making announcements, telling people what's going on. We take a look at the existential threats to America, and right now we're at war with that virus. That's a threat. We discuss the news of the day, and that's also 90% coronavirus. And what it means for you, we're going to take a hard look at China today and its role in all this. I'm going to talk to Senator Tom Cotton, who was uh, pushing very hard for that uh, restriction on travel from China, and who also is a guy who uh, is on the China case. Gordon Chang, few people know the situation in China better than Gordon. And uh, we'll talk about various aspects of this issue and this problem. Claude, you, what are your thoughts? Um, I've been reading a lot of the expert opinion, the smart people, the people whose opinions I trust. Uh, we take this seriously. I think we all take it seriously. But do we think it's um, being overstated or understated? Or what's what's your view?
1: You know, So here's my view on this. I, I believe it's not necessarily being overstated. It's just the fact that we have the 24-hour news cycle. You put in social media. You put in people saying things who aren't necessarily expert on the subject matter, and it gins up a lot of fear. I was speaking to a friend of mine the other day, and he had something very wise to say, I thought. He said he believes that everyone should act as if they are carrying this and you don't want to give it to other people. And so if you have to stay indoors, stay indoors. If you have to stay away from others, stay away from others as much as possible and use the proper precautions. Always wash your hands, use hand sanitizer um, and things like that. And, um, And so... I think that it is something to be concerned about, but I don't know if it's anything to fear. And I just think that the twenty-four that the, the hour news cycle and the corona, corona, coronavirus, coronavirus, you know, COVID nineteen, I think that it makes people afraid, and that's that's a problem.
0: I don't see the widespread panic though. And I don't see the widespread, really reckless behavior. I know there have been some cases, you know, people screaming at each other and, you know, emptying shelves and all that and, and, and stuff like that. And then these crazy kids at the beach can get off the beach in yeah, these large numbers. Here. Millennials, I guess. There we go again. But I think for the most part, American people have been very well behaved um and i think everybody's you know taking it taking it pretty seriously and engaging in cautious behavior and uh, we'll see boy it has been impressive to see the president out front though every day and the vice president and that's a very impressive group of people dr burks and uh and the others and um he's uh, you know it's, it's a good presentation that's something i look to every day to get that update on what's going on uh, I can give you a little perspective uh, that I thought, because people are asking me different kinds of questions. <clears throat> I'm Dr. Bennett, but I'm not a medical doctor. I'm Dr. Philosophy, which doesn't help much here. And I have a Uris doctor from Harvard Law School, which is, you know, prestigious, but not really worth a damn here. But Dr. Uh, doctor. doctor. Uh, anyway, brief history of uh, things like this. People will remember SARS and Ebola, um, recent scares, AIDS. Um, some just turned out not to be much. Others, like AIDS, a very substantial problem, but addressed and, you know, uh, largely largely taken care of when people do the right thing. We had the famous Black Plague of the Middle Ages. Um, and that's, you know, goes down in legend that lasted 100 years. That's probably why it's so famous. It lasted so long. They're pretty helpless to anything about it. But most relevant is something a lot of people, Claude, haven't even heard of. And that's the Spanish flu of 1918. Ah, That flu, get this, killed more people in that year than the Black Plague did in a century. 20, 50, maybe 100 million people around the world. 50 million, 100 million people. 675,000, we think, in the U.S. But we did not have the kind of energetic government we can put at command now. We didn't have the science we have now. Uh, At that time, the time in 1918, we were behind Europe in science and medicine. And now our science is uh, way ahead of Europe. So our capacity to cope and to heal is much better. People have been asking me, um, well, schools are shut down. What do you do with the kids? (laughs) Well, they're your kids. You should know what to do with them. But uh, let's divide it up. You know, you have young kids or older kids. Suppose you have millennials. Let me tell you what I think, Claude, and you tell me your reaction. I think millennials should ask their parents, what did you do when you were younger, when you were at home? didn't have the Internet. I guess you had television, so you maybe watched a lot of television. But uh, what else did you do? It'd be nice if some parents said well, we took some time to read, talk, play games with each other, hug, listen to music, pray. Uh, I think you can still hug family members, can't you? I believe you can.
1: Right. Do you know? Social distancing, yes, you can.
0: Okay, good. You have to keep six feet from your wife and your son, right?
1: Uh, no, I do not.
0: No, I do not.
1: Uh, and I guess
0: the same lessons for the younger kids. Teach them. By the way, there are lots of online learning sites, Uh, homeschool legal defense fund, K-12, lots of places where you can uh, continue child schooling if you want or supplement it or substitute for what goes on at school with those sites. But also uh, take some time to read uh, with them, to listen to music, again, to talk, to play games, to pray, to hug each other. You know, there are lots of uh, things you can do and spend that real time with them. And, you know, don't be so frightened into this that you just hide under the chair, under the bed. We've always had threats. I remember I, an essay by C.S. Lewis where he said, well, everybody's freaking out about the atomic bomb. This was in the 50s, you know, and 40s. C.S. Lewis has an essay about the atomic bomb in the 40s. Everybody says, oh, my gosh, you've just got to hide under the bed. There have always been risks. You know, if you, as he said, if you lived in England, you, you might worry about the atomic bomb now. Or Japan, certainly. But uh, if you lived in England way back when, you had to worry that those Vikings might come across and slit your throat in the middle of the night. There's always been risks, there's always been diseases, sickness. He said we are born mortal. we are born in some ways to die, the end. but uh, that doesn't mean we should change what we're doing. Uh, you know celebrate the things that matter. I'm not saying you know doomsday's coming, so everybody you know gathering a big group hug, I, I don't think doomsday's coming, but to some extent you can act as if you know these are days to yeah, that may be an account. I don't know at least for some of us. Mm-hmm. What's the expression, live tomorrow, like it's the last day of your life? Right. But, but that doesn't mean, you know, get drunk and eat everything you want, you know. It means <laughs> take yourself seriously and take the situation seriously. But I, the country needs to get a grip, and I think it's getting a grip. And our capacity for doing this kind of thing, I think, is great. When we, you know, we screw around, we mess around, we get silly, we get really political, we get really narrow, we get nasty. But when things really get down, the American people, you know, rise to the occasion. Capacity for focus and self-renewal seems bottomless in America. Those uh, millennials who are being stupid at the beach, stop, grow up. Uh, we're at war now with this virus, and Uncle Sam needs you. I want to explore how much we should blame China in this, and I want to ask both Gordon and Senator Cotton about that. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. The Bill Bennett Show. Let's welcome Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas, Senator Cotton. Let's look forward. Um, what do we do now? What do we do now internationally? What do we do now uh, about uh, China? Um, if you will focus it on on the legislation that you is it Mike Gallagher? I think you and Mike Gallagher.
2: Yeah, Mike Gallagher and I have introduced legislation that would end America's dependence on Chinese pharmaceuticals. Um, I, I think most Americans are shocked to learn that. We depend on China for basic staples of our health care, things like penicillin, antibiotics, ibuprofen, acetaminophen, to say nothing of dozens and dozens of precursors that are made in China and then mixed into final drug products. My legislation would very simply say we're going to put an end to this. It would give incentives for manufacturers to bring back pharmaceutical manufacturing from China by letting, for instance, immediately expense the capital expenditures of building new factories in the United States. It would also create a market for uh, that supply by saying all the federal agencies, Medicare, Medicaid, the VA, the Department of Defense, will have to buy, uh, a few years out, all their drugs from non-Chinese sources um that is just about pharmaceuticals we're ultimately going to need to go a lot farther than that um you know unless it's a, unless it's like a toy or a trinket or a long chair bill uh we don't need to be buying it in china anymore period
0: good 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 you and Mike Gallagher Mike uh, Mike Gallagher served with one of my sons in the Marine Corps so that's good a uh, good guy to be with and he, uh, you're a good guy for him to be with how did this happen was this part of the permanent normal trade relations um, that, that we ended up doing all this with China I was I was at empower America I don't know if you remember that you may be too young or you were in combat or something but Jack Kemp and Jean Kirkpatrick and Don Rumsfeld and I was a kind of a another add-on um, and they all went for a permanent normal trade Trade relations with China, and I said no. And the argument was, you remember, Tom? Um, well, you know, the more d- we deal with China, the, s- the more we will soften them up to capitalism and get them off communism. Uh, I don't think that happened. Uh, but was this part of it? Normal trade relations?
2: Yeah. So, 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 Bill, there was let's call it an experiment going back about 30 years. Um, and the premise of the experiment is, as you say, is that let's open up with China, let's trade with them, let's outsource a lot of our factories and jobs there, and capitalism will change China. Unfortunately, as we've seen, China has changed capitalism. You know, just look at what they're doing now, threatening Americans with, with death by withholding things like antibiotics. Look what they did when a NBA executive Tweeted his support for democracy protesters in Hong Kong. Um, they threatened to exclude the NBA from its largest overseas market. So, even the term that you're using, Bill, uh, permanent normal trade relations, was an Orwellian change to what had been used for decades. The term had always been most favored nation status, and you had, you know, you had multinational um, corporation and Wall Street that was desperate, desperate to make money off of China. So they lobbied hard in the 1990s. They recognized that that term was bad. They changed it to permanent normal trade relations. They finally got it through Congress uh, with Bill Clinton's support. And then we admitted China into the World Trade Organization, which again was an idea that it was going to change the way China operated. I say that it was an experiment because so many people in both parties believed it at the time. Um, But over time, It should have been recognized as a failed experiment, and we should have put a stop to it long ago. I believe now that China has unleashed this plague on the world, most Americans recognize that partnering with China, outsourcing our productive capability over there, sending jobs there has been a failed experiment, and they're ready to stop it.
0: You know, you follow this stuff very closely. I follow a piece of it closely with the ironies here. I'm told that one of the drugs that the Chinese are withholding legally – is fentanyl, which of course is used in a lot of surgeries, but they're not withholding fentanyl, the illegal fentanyl, which they're funneling through Mexico into the United States. Uh, do I have that right?
2: Yeah, so so we have an opioid crisis in this country in small part because of the introduction of fentanyl into traditional drugs like heroin, for instance. Um, fentanyl does have legitimate pain management purposes. It's been around for a long time. It only has hit the streets, though, in the last decade. And one of the ways it has hit the streets, Bill, is that Chinese pharmaceutical giants are intentionally, are intentionally overproducing fentanyl. They are selling it into Mexico. The cartels are then running it into the United States. That is clear and obvious. That's why I introduced legislation with Chuck Schumer, of all people, um, who has been alive to the threat of China longer than some Republicans, I have to say, to put sanctions on these Chinese officials and pharmaceutical companies are intentionally flooding our streets with fentanyl. And, And let's just say, Bill, that I don't think it's an accident that that fentanyl is coming from China and creating such... So so such wide scale social problems as we see more people overdosing every year from opioids or from drugs in general than died in the entire Vietnam War. The Chinese Communist Party leaders know that and they know that it hurts us and it prevents us from focusing our attention more on China and what they have done to undermine our interests all around the world. So I I don't think it's an accident that that fentanyl is
0: coming from China. And damn it to hell, as the former drug czar, I can't get people to focus on the right thing. Every time I talk about it, I hear about big pharma. When I was in New Hampshire in 2016, all anybody could talk to me, because they knew I was the former drug czar, was you can get fentanyl on the street for two bucks, three bucks. It's not the may It started there, the Vicodin. It's the fentanyl that's cheap. Uh, and, of course, it's dirty and all sorts of stuff. But uh, people still want to come back to big pharma. I think that's the thing about going after the corporations rather than the real enemy, which is the Chinese.
2: Well, I, I think obviously there were bad actors uh, in that sector, um, and a lot, of people, a lot of people did get hooked on things like OxyContin, but, but those, those, those kinds of addictions have been addressed in different policy ways by the federal government and our state governments for several years now. What we're facing now, again, it is in of no all part fentanyl that is coming from Chinese, and I believe coming intentionally from the Chinese to poison our people.
0: That's my point again. That you know, ironic, you know, withholding the drugs that'll help us and sending the drugs that'll kill us, right? Uh, yeah. quite, quite, they're, they're up to something. Uh, let me ask you this, just to follow up. It is, the, it is a Chinese uh, Chinese virus. This is a, uh, and the president's right to talk about it, and not to tr- retreat from that. I assume you. Oh, you were on this you were on this very early if you had any further thoughts about the origin i'm just curious whether it was those open air places or that lab do we do we know any more Are there any more yeah. indications
2: so first you're right bill this is the china virus um and it is not just a matter of being politically uh correct it is to, to say that that's Somehow racist or xenophobic. Um, it is actively supporting a Chinese Communist Party disinformation plan, to use any other term. Um, as we speak, Chinese ambassadors in capitals around the world are telling their host governments that this originated with American soldiers who were in Wuhan last year. They are lying. They are lying to the world. They are lying to their own people. As we speak, Chinese language media, controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, is also spreading that lie. So there's an information war going on. And to say anything other than it originated in Wuhan, it is the China virus, is to play right to the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. Now, for your other question, where did this originate? The simple question is, we don't know. We know it originated in and around Wuhan, the capital city of Hubei province in central China. We do know this. The first origin story that Beijing fed to us is false. They claim that it started in a, you know, you call, some people call it a wet market, some people call it, you know, an exotic animal market, what have you. Um, there was an authoritative study done in early January. This is one of the first things I read and learned, the extent of the Chinese Communist Party's lies and how bad it must therefore be. Chinese scientists identified 14 of the original 40 cases from December and early January that had no contact with that market whatsoever. So that market may have acted as an accelerant in later stages, but the virus went into that market before it came out of that market. So the simple answer is we don't know, and if the Chinese Communist Party has its its way, we probably won't ever know because they're not letting internationally respected scientists and experts go to Wuhan. They just kicked out reporters from China from the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post and the New York Times so they're acting as if they have something significant to cover
0: up. But, uh, but someone said to me, all right, very possible, but if they were going to do intentional biological warfare, uh, this would be a kind of sloppy way to do it. Is that right or not?
2: So th- there is a super laboratory in Wuhan that deals with infectious diseases to include coronaviruses. Um, you don't have to make the, the leap all the way to say that, that China was developing uh, biological weapons in that laboratory to say that that laboratory could have played a role in the spread of this virus. Um, so, for, for instance, it could, it could be perfectly appropriate science, but bad safety practice. So maybe China was researching coronaviruses, therapeutics, or vaccines, or what have you, and ventilation systems didn't work, or a worker was infected and walked out, or, or they took animals and sold animals outside of the laboratory. That's why I say it's important that we get to the bottom of it so we can learn more about the disease. China is not letting us get to the bottom of it, though.
0: And also, in addition, these capital around the world looks like they have infected, if you don't mind, the World Health Organization with this propaganda as well. But it seems to me, you know, they were very defensive of China.
2: Much of what the World Health Organization has done from a communication standpoint has been focused on not offending the Chinese Communist
0: Party. Um, amazing. Well, I, I was going to say, have they done one thing right, or do we not believe them that they've got no new cases? If it's true that they've got no new cases or very few new cases, is there something we can learn from them, or was this just the advantage of a totalitarian state you can tell people yeah. X and they so, obey.
2: Um, I, so I saw a headline today that says, uh, um, "In fact, no, it wasn't a headline bill. It was a statement of the World Health Organization." Said in a, in a remarkable achievement, China has no reported cases as of today. No new reported cases. Like the key word in that sentence is "reported." Um, you should not. You should not believe that the Chinese Communist Party has conquered this virus. What they have done, in addition to the large-scale lockdowns that go far beyond what any mayor or governor have done or what President Trump has authorized, um, because, again, they are a communist uh, state, um, it's just ordered people to go back to work or ordered people to show up at work. And I think you're probably going to see a second spike in – Um, The virus. There, we may not know about it in real time. We may not know about it for years to come until the true story is written because of lies coming out of China.
0: Or order the person who's dying. You're not dying. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Order the car. And 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 remember, (laughs) I mean,
2: the difference. The difference between Secretary Xi and President Trump, or Prime Minister Trudeau, or President Macron, or Prime Minister Johnson is that. General Secretary Xi does not care about his own people. He does not care. All those Western leaders are trying to save the lives of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of their citizens. If Xi Xi has to endure a few hundred thousand, or for that matter, a few million deaths of his own people to get his economy moving again, or to tell the story that he wants to tell the world, to him, that's just breaking a few eggs to make an omelet
0: a few eggs compared to the great leap forward sure um let me ask you this then on the geopolitics so you said a couple minutes ago um uh, given that the American people are seeing this is Chinese virus, the President continues to call it that. Good for him. Um, this helps uh, heighten awareness. The American people have also seen for the first time a president who's pretty tough on China. But explain to me this: why all the kind words all the time? I don't care about the kind words about the Chinese people, but the president's kind words about Xi is this for diplomatic reasons so he can get more uh, A and B? Um, What about uh, Wall Street and uh, our president? They don't see China the same way. can the president prevail over very powerful forces that want you know, access, give the Chinese access to markets and so on? How, how does that play out or, or what's a strategy uh, in order to, for the president uh, and, and and others like yourself to, to prevail?
2: Yeah, so, so I commend the president for standing up to all these stupid politically correct questions he's been getting over the last few days about how it's, it's mean and xenophobic to call it the China virus. Um, it's an important point that he's making the American people in the middle of an information war with the communist government. Um, I I, I know that the president understands that he has to maintain a working relationship with Xi Jinping, in the same way that Ronald Reagan had been maintaining a working relationship with Soviet general, sec- general secretaries. Just because they're our adversary doesn't mean that we don't have to have a line of communication with them. Um, and as president, that's part of the job. Maybe not part of the one of the more pleasant parts of the job, but it's part of the job indeed. Um, and then finally, I don't think the president is alone in trying to confront some of these multinational companies for um, Wall Street interests that have made so much money off China. China and may want to get back to business as usual. I hope that they will open up and open their eyes, I should say, and be alive to the threat um, going forward once we're on the backside of this pandemic. But even if they're not, the American people who already had no love loss for China, um, I believe, are going to create a, a potent, potent political force that will drive change in Congress with the support of the president um, of the kind that we have not seen over the last 30 years of China. I mean, just look at Arkansas, Bill. I mean, our farmers... Don't like China because they won't buy Arkansas rice. In fact, they steal proprietary biotechnology related to our rice. Um, our manufacturers don't don't like China because they took our jobs. Our entrepreneurs don't like China because they steal our intellectual property. Christians don't like China because they persecute trish- Christians and force women to have abortions. There is no, there's virtually no one in Arkansas who doesn't have a reason to want to change our relationship with China. And that's replicated across all
0: 49 other states. That's good. That's good. So there is uh, opportunity there. I'm also following, uh, you probably know our friends on the uh, now reconstituted uh, committee on the present danger, China. Uh, They're doing some very good work, too. Uh, You've been in touch with them, I assume, at some point.
2: Um, they're doing very good work, and, and it, is a very pre- it is a very present danger, Bill, and that's why I say it, it's so disappointing that our leaders didn't recognize this earlier. We should have taken the steps we needed over the last 30 years to keep our manufacturing jobs here in the United States. But if you were going to let another country take over your manufacturing sector, why would you have let the one that has 1.3 billion people And a clear, a clear and announced intent to try to replace you as the world's superpower. You know, why wouldn't you work more with Mexico or Vietnam or the Philippines, Japan, South Korea? I mean, again, we should have kept all those jobs here, but the last place we should have uh, sent them, the last place we should have tried to integrate into our economy in a dangerous fashion is a sworn mortal adversary.
0: Excellent. Right. Absolutely. I'm told I have two minutes left with you quickly. Uh, just another topic. Uh, not so sure about the First Step Act. Uh, it seems to me, you know, I love the president, but boy, I think a lot of bad guys are getting released. And now, under the because uh, of the coronavirus, is Philadelphia's not going to arrest people for major drug dealing. When did major your drug dealing uh, get so readily called nonviolent. I'll, I'll pause there. I, mean, I, I, I just don't understand this because the prisoners are too close together. This is why we're releasing people. They're, this whole frame of mind, you know, a, a story of the United States I know and respect very much says we go from crunchy to soft. You know, we go soft and crunchy, soft and crunchy. This seems a little too soft and dangerous. I, I'm very worried
2: about some of these communities, like San Francisco, like Philadelphia, um, even Northern Virginia uh, as well, in which um, you have these far left-wing, really radical prosecutors who, in many cases, have been funded either um, publicly or secretly through George Soros. Um, um. Um, organizations. It's, look, it's very, it's very hard to influence a presidential election if you're a rich guy. It's pretty hard to influence statewide elections, but a local election for prosecutor, it doesn't take much money to have overwhelming influence in that. And that George Soros and all of these other radical left-wing forces who want to decriminalize violent crime have helped elect true radicals in places like San Francisco and Philadelphia, that i not just saying we should let out at-risk prisoners, Bill. They're saying, they're announcing in advance, we're not going to do things like respond to calls for hardjackings or burglaries. Well, if you tell hardened criminals, we're not going to respond to burglary calls or arrest people for burglary, guess what you're going to have happen? A lot more burglaries at a time at a time when a lot of businesses are boarded
0: up exactly right and then they wonder why people are buying more guns and isn't that terrible well it's a very good reason for people to buy guns in a lot of communities very good reason um senator i gotta thank you i gotta let you go it's always great to talk to you we try to use your time wisely and we so much appreciate you being out there and leading applaud you every time we see you
2: yeah thank you very much you always good to be honest with you. you're listening to the bill bennett show
0: Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. You are listening to The Bill Bennett Show. It's time to jump in with Gordon Chang, who's the author of Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World, and the author of The uh, Coming Collapse of China. Uh, Gordon. Uh, by the way, I want to mention uh, you can find him uh, in his Twitter account on Gordon G Chang, and you should go there. Gordon G Chang. Um, what are you asked most often on that account, or what are you asked most often uh, on TV, radio these days? I'm just curious. I have a bunch of questions for you, but what's the question you almost always get asked, Gordon?
3: That's that's a great question, and I and I really it, it really depends on the day because these things change so fast because the story's moving. You know, but in general, I think that the questions are really directed as to where is China going? Um, because most of the uh, people are just really perplexed by this. And it is hard to understand, um, e- you know, even if you step back and look at it, largely because um, Beijing's um, ambitions are so malign, it's difficult for us to understand where we're going, where
0: they're going. Yeah, Um Uh, Well, you wrote a book, The Coming Collapse of China, does this, what's happened lately in the last month or two, does this uh, pretend uh, greater strength or greater weakness, coming closer to the collapse or further away?
3: I think it's uh, coming closer to it. Now, I should start out by saying that I thought this would happen within a decade of when I wrote the book, and I wrote the book in the middle of 2001, so I'm I'm completely off on timing. Um, But what we're seeing recently is a questioning attitude on the part of the Chinese people, Chinese people really are furious about the Communist Party's mishandling of the coronavirus. And unlike previous instances of Communist Party malfeasance, um, people now are asking fundamental questions, and they're demanding changes in the political system. And one indication of this is that the song, Do You Hear the People Sing from Les Miserables, has become popular in China. Uh, And that's uh, following uh, its popularity in Hong Kong, where it really has been used as an anthem of political change. So I think the Communist Party leaders understand that, and they are looking at a very different Chinese people than, let's say, two, three months ago.
0: Do you hear the sound of it? I know it well. Yeah. Uh, Claude Note here, Gordon Chang, is our music uh, consultant as well. Explain something to me, simple question. I thought it was a totalitarian state. How, how would you know that people are so angry? And if they're angry, I not think i get arrested. Um,
3: that's a really important question. Um, and the reason is that um, there is wide social media usage in China. Now, things get taken down quickly. They get taken down, um, for instance, within minutes. But people archive what's on social media So some of this actually survives. And, of course, many of uh, these narratives get played over and over again in different messages, which are then preserved. So it is, um, you know, we have a sense of of what people are thinking. And and there are moments, Bill, when two things, one of two things can happen. One of them is that uh, the censors are just overwhelmed by the sheer volume of messages, so they can't take them all down. And second of all, Sometimes the censors don't know what to do because they need political direction from above. So um, oftentimes um, the Communist Party will allow the Chinese people to mouth off, to blow off steam. Sometimes they won't let them do that. Um, Censors won't necessarily know what the direction is from party central. And so therefore um, there can be times when things stay up on the social media platforms much longer than we otherwise would have thought.
0: Uh, by the way, it reminds me, because one of the last times we talked, we were focusing on Hong Kong. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, do, do, we, do we see the situation there as similar, better, calmed down, more exacerbated? What?
3: Well, the, the protests are smaller in size. I mean, there, there's two types of protests. There's the large, you know, million-person marches. Those aren't occurring because of coronavirus. And then there's the street fighting between the police and the kids dressed in black that actually has continued through the coronavirus epidemic in hong kong but at a lower level um but what's happened though and and this is not a good story for the government of carrie lamb the hong kong chief executive because she is considered to have mishandled um the uh, handling of the coronavirus and so she lost um political support um she didn't have very much anyway to start out with um but she has even less And we know that she didn't have very much support because of the district council elections on November 24th of last year, where basically the um, anti-government candidates got about 88% of the vote and record, record turnout. So we know that the government was unpopular, but it has managed to become even less popular because of coronavirus handling.
0: Well, let's go back to the current unrest. And you say a lot of it is, uh, most of it is about uh, the handling of the virus?
3: Well, um, that has, I think people aren't demonstrating because of the virus, but we um, know that the kids are still protesting and we know what people in Hong Kong are saying, of course, so... I think that when the virus subsides in Hong Kong, we are going to see perhaps even larger protests, um, or we're going to see the government um, do things that uh, was thought to be inconceivable before, uh, because they realize that they are so unpopular. This is a volatile situation still. Um, There's a lot of anger, which is um, circulating through Hong Kong society. And as I mentioned, because of the epidemic, people really don't want to go out in the streets as much as they did. So we're not seeing as much in the way of manifestation. But um, the, the sense of insurgency is as strong as ever.
0: And, and how strong is that? I mean, I, I, how strong a grip does the Chinese Communist Party have on the country? Uh, is, are the people's, I'm just trying to determine muscle versus muscle here. Uh, who's stronger?
3: Uh, they're strong in different ways, Bill. Um, so, for instance, um, from a military point of view, um, of course the police backed up by um, possibly the People's Armed Police and the People's Liberation Army um, are stronger. And, and, but the kids are more inventive. They change their tactics faster. And so the police um, backed up by China don't really have a means of ending the protest. Because, first of all, it's not only a question of tactics, but it's also a question of support among people. Remember, what we've got is essentially a guerrilla insurgency that is supported by an overwhelming majority of the people in Hong Kong. So essentially, this is something that uh, Beijing, Carrie Lam, the Hong Kong police are not very good at containing.
0: I meant China overall. Uh, if if people are unhappy and very unhappy, and they're living in a Chinese government, a Chinese communist government, a totalitarian government, are they strong enough to over, overthrow that government and that party?
3: Um, no, I don't think so. I, um, okay. They're they're not able to remove China, um, but on the other hand, China is not able to change sentiment. So it's sort of like a standoff. Um, And we're going to see more of this when the virus subsides, because then things will clear up, people will be more willing to demonstrate, and I think we will see um, a renewed outpouring of sentiment. So it's something that neither side can win, neither side can push the other, um, but as long as um, China is deterred from uh, taking certain actions, then I think that you can say that the status quo favors um, the pro-democracy camp
0: run, right? Long run. Another 10 years? Another five years?
3: can go on for a very long time.
0: Okay. Um, okay.
3: You know, these protests have gone on um, since April of last year, and they've been continuous since June 9th of last year. Yeah. And this compares with, um, in 2014, the Occupy protests. They lasted a long time, but that was only 79 days. So you can see that this is a long-running um, disagreement between the people of Hong Kong and um the, the government establishment there
0: yeah let's uh, let's get uh, talk about the virus uh, did they hide it and did they lie about it
3: absolutely did it, did it, uh,
0: and that it's And did it start there
3: it started sometime in november um and there is um there is there's, there's a disagreement as to whether they've found patient zero i think most virologists think they haven't but that they're close so they're talking uh, middle of november the first patient was diagnosed with a novel coronavirus, what is now called COVID-19. Um, that was December 8th. We know that um, Beijing did its best to suppress information, and it was only until January 20th when People's Daily carried uh, Xi Jinping's words on the subject. Did there was was there an official public acknowledgement that was meant to um, speak to the entire nation? So. Um, Essentially, you're talking at least six weeks while this virus spread around. And to give you a sense of how um, bad this was, on on January 19th, one day before the People's Daily article, the Wuhan um, municipal government held a potluck dinner for 40,000 families, 40,000 families, in order to get into the the, the Guinness World Book of Records. And if you're thinking of designing an event where you would spread disease, this is exactly what you would do.
0: Why'd they do that? What was the motivation for that?
3: That's inexplicable. Uh, but let me just sort of say that the Wuhan government and the Wuhan mayor actually acknowledged this on January 26th or 27th. Um, he said, look... We told Beijing about what was going on, um, but we, weren't, we couldn't do anything because we didn't get instructions from Beijing, from the party central. So you had uh, the Wuhan authorities basically being carrying on as they would have carried on um, until they got instructions. So that's the nature of the communist system. And I, I know the mayor was just blame shifting but it does sound credible from what all we know, and that is um, the Wuhan authorities were told not to talk about this. One other fact: January three, China's National Health Commission ordered the health authorities in Wuhan to destroy samples of coronavirus because they didn't wanted to hide this. So that's the mentality that you had under Wuhan officials told not to talk about it, hide it. Just carry on normal until you get further instructions, and those further instructions didn't come until January 20.
0: Let's go to sort of the end of the story, at least up to date at this point. Is this, this this puzzles me? Maybe I don't believe it. Maybe should I believe it? I heard a report today, and we're talking here on Thursday, um, that there were no new cases in Wuhan uh, or in China. I guess actually, is that possible that they get this thing under control? If so, how had that happened
3: Yeah. Um, there have been reports that there were no new cases. I think, though, what they meant—and I've seen reports to this effect—that there were no new um, local cases. That they do have cases of imported um, coronavirus from foreigners and or soldiers,
0: others. U.S. soldiers. <laughs> no, no, just from from, from,
3: from travelers. Yeah. That, that's another yeah. that's another really important story to talk about. But what what the authorities in China are saying is that um, all the new cases in China. Are from travelers coming in from the outside and to answer your question I think it's extremely unlikely that that's the case because over the last couple of weeks people in China have been unofficially reporting clusters of cases in places like Beijing and if you look at the trajectory of the disease you can buy into the notion that the disease is um, subsiding but to say that it's completely gone I think is a stretch. Remember, Italy today has now reported a total number of cases that of deaths greater than that in China, and that also is unlikely, and it's not like the Italian authorities are exaggerating the number of deaths. It's because the Chinese authorities have underreported deaths. So, um the statistics we're getting from Beijing are not reliable, and so I think that there probably are human-to-human infections in China occurring at this very moment.
0: Do You guess that there's some efforts to suppress the spread of the virus that are effective there and that we could learn from.
3: Well, we know that, and, and there are things that we, we're doing that they've been had done before, and that is you just quarantine people, um, you try to get them to self-isolate. The difference is that they've been coercive, and we have not been nearly as coercive and um, part of it is because American society is more socially cohesive. Um, people trust their government more. I mean, they may not like the president or they may not like their senator, but um, people trust their government more. And so we don't, as a nation, have to be as coercive to obtain the same behavior that you have. To, you know, you have to be more coercive in China to do the same thing. So... I think that we have a much better approach to it. It's not to say that everything that China's doing is wrong. It's just saying that overall, on balance, we have a much more effective approach to containing the disease than the Chinese have.
0: What about the approach here? Just, if, do you have a few more minutes? I'd like to keep you about five or six more yes, minutes. Of course. Is that all right? Thank you, Gordon. Um, And again, that's Twitter handle Gordon G. Chang. Uh, The president's posture here on the aggressive side, if you will, he he calls it the Chinese virus, right? Fair enough. Accurate. That's where it came from, right?
3: And, and also, Bill, it's important. Uh, people um, who have criticized him um, for this, I think, are wrong. People are saying it's racist. Well, first of all, I'm Chinese-American. I don't find it racist at all. What the president is doing, and the Secretary of State and the Vice President have done the same thing, is to make it crystal clear that this virus did not originate in America. The reason why that is important is because the Chinese foreign ministry, since about February 5 or February 6, has been trying to tar the United States in connection with this epidemic. And that culminated last Thursday when a foreign ministry spokesman tweeted, and this is official, by the way, tweeted that patient zero was in America, which is false, and tweeted that, um, and intimated that the um, virus was brought to Wuhan by the U.S. Army, thereby suggesting germ warfare. This is crazy dangerous for a number of reasons, but the point is President Trump is saying no. This is not an American disease. This came from China, this originated there, and um, don't blame the U.S. for this, because Beijing has been unrelentingly doing this. Um, Just one other detail, which I think is important, because it shows the mindset of the Chinese leadership. On Friday, the State Department called in the Chinese ambassador to complain about this malicious disinformation. This week, the Chinese ambassador to South Africa has taken the Twitter to repeatedly send out messages that the U.S. was responsible for the coronavirus. So that's why our president has been saying Chinese virus. And the president should do that, and he should continue to do it as long as the Chinese continue this disinformation.
0: But what is it in the president that uh, makes him say at every point, or at most points, my good friend President Xi, and, you know, he's a good man, he's trying to do the right thing. Is that just uh, diplomacy so he has more leverage? Does he really believe that? Um,
3: I'm not in the president's head, so I don't know. Um, I don't like that language. I think that it undercuts our diplomacy. And um, But, you know, you got to say that...
0: If, he, if he's tough, I mean, if he's tough, it doesn't matter. And he's been pretty tough on trade and stuff, right?
3: He's been very tough on the Chinese. It matters a little bit because of, for a number of reasons. But I think the reason why he does this bill, if I had to take a guess, is that... For four decades, American foreign policy has been to engage the Chinese, to um, try to butter up the leadership. This is the Henry Kissinger school of how you deal with Beijing, and I don't agree with it. um, But this is generally consensus American foreign policy. And if you wanted to see an example of this, although not to the same extent, but, you know, President Obama, George W. Bush, they all did this. Um, President Trump just does it to get more attention, I suppose, than the way he does it. I don't like it, but I actually think, I agree with you, President Trump's policies on China have been markedly different than those of his predecessors. He's been tough on China. He's leading the way on important things. I'd like him to do more, but you've got to say that the president has the right attitude about how to deal with a militant, hostile Chinese regime.
0: It's interesting. It's somewhat like the situation with Russia, right? He talks nicely about Putin and so on, but he's much tougher on Russia than people who talk tougher on Russia. You know, oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah. By the way, I just I was thinking, you know, the Chinese flu and all. There is one irony here, because I know something about uh, uh, when I was writing my book American History. I I did a lot of work on the flu, nineteen eighteen, the Spanish flu. And do you know that that is misnamed the Spanish flu?
3: Yes, it didn't start from Spain. Yeah.
0: You know where it started? Kansas. Uh, okay. I think okay. it's Kansas. I'm pretty sure we can check, but I'm pretty sure uh, with very close, uh, very close uh, quarters, of American soldiers. So there really is a kind of a kind of precedent for what the Chinese are talking about. But it ain't China. It's uh, it's right. uh, it's the Spanish flu. And then it got over to Europe uh, when our when our troops went over, went to France, and then it got quite intense in Spain. But um, no, I think he's absolutely right to be doing it. Yeah, as long as he remains, it goes with the tough policy. Uh, I think uh, I I think it's fine last question or two questions on this if they had done what they should have done would we have been spared this Gordon would we have been spared what we're going through now in the US if the Chinese had done
3: I believe so Um, there's a university in in, uh, England I think the University of Southampton or something they issued a paper not too long ago which said that if China had taken non-pharmaceutical measures in other words social distancing, quarantining, and the rest of it. If they had done that three weeks earlier, the number of infections would have been 95% fewer. So that's an indication that, um, first of all, China would not have been crippled to the same extent, and certainly we would not have seen these hobbling outbreaks in Italy, Iran, South Korea, and now the, the situation in the U.S.,
0: you read smart people. I read smart people. Uh, where are you on the scale of optimism, pessimism about how we do here?
3: I think that we're, um, we're going to see a lot of cases. But I think that um, I, I do believe the president has flattened the curve. And he's done that with the most important thing that could have been done. He did 100 percent right. And that is on January 31st, he imposed the travel restrictions and the quarantines on China. That bought us some time. I think he could have used the time a little bit better um, in the first weeks of February. Um, But nonetheless, um, that was the most important thing. Otherwise, we would be looking like Italy right now.
0: Gordon, thank you very much. Terrific, as always. We really appreciate it. Gordon Chang, thank you, sir.
3: Well, thank you, Bill. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennetshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. Like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We will catch up next week.